works.
right. Good morning, Village family. Good morning. We have about a minute until service starts. So if you're out in the hallway, make your way into the sanctuary. And we're going to start service here in about a minute. Again, good morning and welcome to the village. We're glad you made it here. If you'd make your way on into the sanctuary, we're going to get started in about a minute. All right. Good morning. Good morning, village. Good morning. Good morning. If you're in the hallway, please make your way on into the sanctuary. Good morning and welcome to the village church where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Village family, we are using Linktree um, as a way to connect. Um, If you would look in your um, bulletin, there is a QR code that you can scan. Scanning that QR code allows you to connect to all of our information about the church, the giving of tithes and offerings, along with all of our social media platforms, um, all in one place. Uh, If you are a guest here, welcome to the village. And if you would, please scan that QR code and fill out that uh, menu item that says first time guest. At the Village, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship, and you may give to the vision and mission of the church online through that QR code, or you may mail a check to our address, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Um, or after service, you may drop your offering in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today, we will celebrate communion. Uh, We will have SEC after church today. Um, and remember that um, Trunk or Treat is today. Trunk or Treat is today, after, um, uh, way after church, 
at 6 p.m., right? And today is the last day for food donations for our ministry partner, HAP. The box in the back um, as you come through the door uh, looks pretty full, but I'm almost positive that we can do even more, right? So if you didn't bring your stuff with you this morning, bring it with you when you come back for Trunk or Treat, which is tonight at 6 o'clock. I said it three times now, so everybody's going to remember, right? Trunk or Treat tonight, 6 o'clock. Um, the session is asking that each member family of the congregation um, to prayerfully consider how they can support the Village Church in 2023 and give an estimate of how uh, much they want they intend to give. Um, please return your um, giving estimate by today. Again, if you haven't finished that by now, you can bring it with you when you come back tonight at 6 o'clock for Trunk or Treat. Right? That was five times. See how many times I can work that into the announcements. Um, for more details on your giving assessment, please um, see the uh, October 12th flock note or contact um, Brother Richard. Um, come celebrate with us uh, for the TVC Women's Ministry is hosting a Friendsgiving on November 2nd at 530 at the Neely's home. And is, and is, and is that just for the women's ministry? Fellas, we, we, we need to have some Friendsgiving too. Let's, let's, let's talk about that later, right? I, I listen. I will. I will. I will gladly fry a turkey. Somebody holler at me. Amen. So the TVC Women's Ministry Friendsgiving is on November second at five thirty at the Neely's home. On November fifth from nine to noon, there's evangelism training right here at the Village Church. Please do not miss that. It's, it is going to be really, really good, um, and it's really, really good for all of us, not just people who plan to do evangelism, but for everyone in the church. So please don't miss that. November 6th, daylight saving time ends. So remember to fall back by setting your clocks back one hour. Worship service at 930, followed by SEC, which is the last one for this year. Afterwards, the Bricker family, uh, uh, the Bricker Village family group will meet in the fellowship hall, and the Teague Village group will meet in the church house. November 9th, there's corporate prayer at 7. And last announcement, mark your calendar for November 13th. We will celebrate the uh, church's 11th anniversary. Amen. Y'all don't sound too excited about that. We'll celebrate the church's 11th anniversary. Amen? Yeah, there we go. Reverend Adam Tisdale will be preaching, and uh, we'll have a special guest. Miss uh, Tamara Bodie will be our guest worship leader. Um, there will be no SEC, but there will be a reception to follow after service. These are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. I guess we get to sing now, don't we? Alright. Please stand and join us as, as we begin worship. This is an easy song. I think everybody knows this one, so don't be afraid to sing along with us. Amen. I just want to thank you. 
with me, everybody say, thank you, Lord. to worship. Today's call to worship comes from uh, the 145th Psalm, verses 1 through 4. It says, I will extol you, my God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And everyone said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, 
he shall declare your mighty acts. Amen. Blessed be your name in the land that is planted. There it is. Where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Oh, 
Amen. song where it says uh, you give and take away because we've all experienced loss in giving but then it says my heart will choose to say blessed be your name and sometimes that's all we've got but that's an act of love choosing to say blessed be your name let's go to the Lord in prayer God, you are our God. We seek you earnestly. Our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh yearns for you. As if we were in a dry and weary land without water. Thus we've seen you in this sanctuary. We've seen your power and glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, our lips will praise you. So we will bless you as long as we live. We will lift up our hands in your name. Our soul is satisfied, as with marrow and fatness. And our mouths offer praises with joyful lips. When we remember you on our bed, we meditate on you watches, for you have been our help, and in the shadow of your wings we sing for joy. Our soul follows hard after you, your right hand upholds us. Oh, Father, so often we feel like we're wandering in a dry and weary land where there is no water, but we look up and see you there. Father, you are our bread. You are, you, you, your words feed us. You satisfy us like no other can. Draw us into your presence, God. Lift us up into your arms and turn your ear to us. And hear our praises. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our confession of sin comes from Psalm 143, verses 1 through 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Let's enter into a time of silent confession. Church apartment of pardon comes from Psalm 144. The Lord is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. Thanks be to God.
If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from Hosea chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. Yet let no one find fault and let none offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and will repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will play the harlot but not uh, increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. Harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. This is the word of the God. This is the word of God. seated. All right, you guys know this song real well. It says every praise is to our God. Amen. Don't be scared. We, we ain't got no choir up here, so y'all gonna have to sing, all right? Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God.
every praise is due our God. Amen. Amen. We're now going to have a ministry moment. Most of you, uh, if you were here in August, uh, our sermon series was the focus on mission and vision. And during that sermon series, uh, I talked about what's going to be one of our focuses for the ministry calendar that runs from August to the end of uh, July. And the focus is going to be something that the leadership came up with called the MO Initiative. That's mission, outreach, and evangelism. That's something that we want to become a more outwardly facing church in our community and for us to live more outwardly facing lives in the places where we live, work, and play. And so we've had a couple of uh, work days with LVM. Uh, the youth ministry has co- had a couple of work days and outreach events. And also the Trump retreat that we're going to have this evening is part of, you know, this MOA initiative. Uh, we're also going to have an evangelism training coming up November the 5th. And, you know, if you're like me, I struggle with evangelism. I'm not an evangelist. I get nervous every time I I know the spirit moves me to want to share the gospel. I'm like, what do I say? I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody. And so, if if you if you ever felt those things when it when it comes to sharing the gospel, then this is a training that I really would like the whole congregation to attend, and I would even like the youth to attend as well. Nursery will be provided uh, for kids six and under, and we will meet in the fellowship hall on November the fifth from nine to noon. And our very own Amanda Cook is going to be leading uh, that training. Uh, InterVarsity has a, a cool way in which they train their staff and leaders on how to share the gospel. And Amanda is going to be sharing that with us uh, as a congregation. So please go ahead and be praying about that training. Also be praying about who God may be leading you to share the gospel with. It could be family members as we're heading into the holiday season. And so um, please come. Please be in prayer for that, and also please be in prayer uh, for Amanda as she prepares to lead that training in a few weeks. So now let's go to the Lord now in a prayer of supplication. And prayers of supplication, those are prayers in which you intercede for other people. This is where you bring your needs to God, the needs you may have in your own life, the needs you may have in our congregation. And so as I pray, will you please join me in praying to our Heavenly Father? Let us go to him now. Father, as we enter this time of supplication, we know you already know everything that we need. We know that. But yet your word still calls us to pray without ceasing, to to pray to you, to lift your name on high. And so, Lord, as your beloveds, we bring to you needs that we see in our own life, needs that we see in our own relationships, in our finances, in our spiritual and emotional and mental health. We pray for healing in those areas. We pray, Lord, for restoration and reconciliation, for broken relationships that we may have in our life that may even exist in in this body of Christ. Lord, we pray for our city. We pray for our government leaders that you help them to lead well. We pray as we head into this election season that people will be kind to one another, particularly those who are going to vote differently than other people. 
that, Lord, your church will lead by example and not just go with the fray. Lord, I pray for the leadership of our church, that we will lead in humility, that we will admit wrong, and that we will be honest, and that we will lead well. Lord, I pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones, that you will minister to them their grief and their lament. I pray for those as we head into this holiday season, which brings a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, brings up old wounds. Lord, I pray for healing and strength for those individuals. And Lord, I pray for the trunk or treat tonight. I pray that the rain will hold off, and I pray that the community will come and we can extend the love of Jesus to them. I pray for the conversations that we're going to have, that you bless those conversations. I pray for those in our body who are sick with the flu. I pray for healing over them, healing over their bodies, protections over their families who are not sick. And I pray that you nurture them back to good health. I pray for those who are recovering from surgeries, Lord, that you will be with them and their bodies, that their organs and their bones heal properly. I pray for those in our congregation who who are just tired, tired of the ups and downs, feel like they're burning the candle at both ends. But I pray that they will find rest. I pray they may be be able to even take a nap today. And so, Lord, I bring these things to you. I ask that you would bless them. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Pastor Rick uh, Velotis uh, quoted from him last week, and I'm going to use another quote from his book, Good and Beautiful and Kind. He writes, at its core, sin is a failure to love. It's a power that curves us inward. Not many of us associate sin with love. Sin especially conjures images of law-breaking, trespassing, and debt. I propose, he says, I propose we broaden our scope or rather focus our lens. We must understand sin is in the light of love as we seek to live out the ways of Jesus, especially those of us who long for wholeness. I'm going to read that again. We must understand sin in the light of love as we seek to live in the ways of Jesus especially those of us who long for wholeness. Do y'all long for wholeness? I know I do. What about y'all? This morning we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Hosea in chapter 4. We're going to work our way through verses 4 to 11. The sermon title is Failure to Love Part 2. Failure to Love Part 2. And the big idea is this. Sin is a failure to love and a violation of God's word. It's both. Sin is a failure to love and a violation of God's word. But do y'all believe it? Do you really believe that? Join me in asking the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of God's holy word. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week, I will continue to pray that this time, and in fact, no part of worship, 
has any power if you're not involved in it. If you're not involved in it, we're, we're just putting on the show. It's a concert with a talk. So Holy Spirit, you have to take the things that we do and make it beautiful. You have to take the things that we do and make it genuine worship. You have to do that. We're not capable of doing it. I know that goes against you know, the world that we live in in America. As Americans, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But like, that's anti-kingdom. So we cannot come to these words and these scriptures and, and, and before your throne in our own strength. We come in brokenness. We come in neediness. This time, this corporate worship, this, it, it, it can't just be us checking a box. I went to worship, so I'm good. It has to be more than that. We have to, I pray that you help us to see this time as life-giving. Not just something that we do culturally. Because we're good southern folks who live in the south. But Lord, that we would see this time as something that's essential to our spiritual growth. That being in community, worshiping with other believers, is something that our soul needs. And we can't make ourselves believe that. You have to work that in our hearts as you draw our hearts closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And I believe the closer our hearts go come to Jesus, the more we're going to want to be with his people. That, that, you can't say I love Jesus and not love his people. That, that cannot exist in the Bible. So Holy Spirit, I beg of you, as a third person within the Godhead, the one who comes that came at Pentecost, the one who lives in all believers supernaturally, will you minister to us in the places where we truly live? You know what I need to hear. You know what everyone else here needs to hear. And I pray that each person, every adult, every teen, every child, will receive from this message what they need to receive. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul grew up in a home with five siblings. Five siblings. And according to Paul, their, their parents ne never let them call each other names. I know they got to be hard with growing up with five siblings. However, but he and his siblings, they did delight in playing one particular teasing game. One, and it's called Liar, Liar, Your Pants on Fire. Have you ever played that game? See, Paul and his siblings, they would, they would play these games out of the sight of their mother's ear, out of, out of their mother's ear sight, eyesight. But one day she was close by, and she overheard Paul calling his brother a liar. He says, but I'll never forget when, when she called me, pointing, my, pointing at my brother and calling him a liar. My mother said, Paul, just remember, when you point your finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. Just remember, when you point your finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. You see, the people of Israel here in Hosea 5, the, 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 our text today, the people are pointing fingers at each other because of the charges the Lord God brings against the whole kingdom in verses 1 through 3. He says to them, there's no, no faithfulness, no steadfast love 
No knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. They all break bonds. This bloodshed follows bloodshed. And so when people hear these words, their first reaction is they shift blame. Do you know how to play that game? Do you ever shift the blame? They're pointing fingers at each other. No, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Some are saying out loud, it's not my fault, God. Me and my family, like, we don't do anything wrong. We, we are good, good, wholesome Israelite family. Hosea, you need to go to the neighborhood on the other side of town. Those Israelites, yeah, those are the ones who need to hear this. Not on our side of town, because our side of town is safe and good people. It's the other side that you need to go to. And guess what the Lord says to them? He says, remember, when you point your finger at someone, three fingers are pointing back at you. Do you all know what that phrase means? It means when you blame others and criticize them, you can't forget you have issues and problems too. Do I need to hold up the sign? Okay. You, you, when you blame other people and you criticize them and you judge them, you can't, re, you can't do that thinking you're innocent. <laughs> that you don't have anything going on in your own life and your family. The Lord is like, don't point fingers. Don't shift the blame. Don't start looking at each other sideways. For none of you have the moral high ground to bring a charge against a fellow Israelite. None of you are in a position where you can accuse another Israelite of wrongdoing. All y'all are guilty. All y'all are doing what's listed in verses 1 through 3. All y'all are living unfaithfully. So everyone just needs to keep quiet. That's what he's telling them. Look at verse 4a. The Lord says, let no one contend and let no one accuse. He says, just keep your pothole shut. Okay. That's enough. Stop the talking. Zip your lips. Take several seats. For all Israel have sinned and fallen short of my glory. And if he was saying this to the village church, all the village church have sinned and fallen short of my glory. But now in verse 4b, there's a transition. He moves away from everybody to focus on one particular group of people. He brings a charge against this group. He's going to hold this particular group accountable. And he does so because this particular group of Israelites, they have their important role of leading the people and nation spiritually. So who is this group? It's the priesthood. It's the priesthood. See, the Old Testament priests, they are ordained by God to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. They are ordained by God to teach his word and his law to the people of Israel. But the priesthood in Israel, they're failing. All of them are guilty of failure to love, a failure to love God and a failure to love the people under their spiritual leadership. Look at verse 4c. The Lord says to them, with you is my contention, O priest. The message Bible says, you priests are the one on dock. You're the one on dock. This verse shows us that one of the biggest problems in the northern kingdom is the corruption of their spiritual leaders. That's one of the biggest problems. And this ancient problem is still a modern problem. 
You see, God's charge against the Israelites' priests is meant to get the attention of church clergy and church leaders today. It's meant to get my attention as senior pastor of the village church. It's meant to get the attention of our elders and our deacons and our women shepherds and our deacon assistants and our ministry leaders and our church staff. It's meant to get all of our attention. Leadership problems exist in the church today and in all Christian denominations around the world. Do you believe that? We've all heard and read stories about bad leadership in the church. Some of you have experienced bad leadership in, your, in a local church. And some of you may have even experienced that here at the Village Church and how the leadership fail and to shepherd and lead our church through crisis and conflict. And if you're holding on to some church hurt caused by me or the church leadership, then you got to let us know. Can't make things right if I'm operating in the dark. So if you're holding on to some hurt and how we have failed you, you got to come let us know so that we can work towards reconciliation and repentance together. So please, don't hold on to us. Don't get mad and just leave. you got to let us know. I found a quote online this week that says, A bad leader can take a good staff and destroy it, causing the best employees to flee and the remainder to lose all motivation. Bad leadership can damage any local church, just like it's doing in in Israel. And remember God's words to the priest. For with you is my contention, O priest. For my charge is against all my unfaithful priests. And he charges them with failing to love his people and for failing to love him. So how is the priesthood failing to love the Lord their God? How are they failing? Hosea shows them. He gives them three examples of how they are failing to love God. First, he says, they reject knowledge. We see this in verse 4b, first, in verse 6b. The Lord says to them, because you have rejected knowledge. The knowledge they're rejecting is the knowledge of God. That's listed in, back in verses 1 through, in th- verses 1 through 3. And knowledge of God is more than just knowing facts about God. Because if you, any of us can just read the Bible and have facts, we can memorize the stories. You know, anyone can do that. Critical scholars who aren't believers can do that. And so it's a relational and personal knowledge of Yahweh Elohim. It's covenant faithfulness. And so the, the, the priesthood who have been ordained by God are not walking with the Lord God. They're not trusting him. They're not depending on him. They're not resting in him. In fact, they are rejecting the covenant relationship, which is a failure to love. They're rejecting the covenant relationship with Yahweh Elohim, And that is a failure to love. Now, what about me? What about the rest of our church leadership? They still are priests. They still function as priests, but they're not walking with God. The same can apply to us. I can get up here each week, preach sermons, and not be walking with God. The same for any church leader here. 
Are we reject the knowledge of God? Do we submit to him? Do we trust him? Do we depend upon him? Do we walk with him in the mundane of life? And that question is for everyone, not just for the church leaders. Second, the priesthood forget God's law. We see this in verse 6d. The Lord says, and since you have forgotten the law of the Lord. To forget means to put out of mind, to overlook, to ignore. Have any of you ever put forth an idea to co-workers, bosses, friends, family, church leaders, and received no response? Again, if I've done that to you, please let me know, and I apologize. Your idea is never acknowledged. It's like it never existed. And how does that make you feel? When you took the time to send that text, you took the time to send that email, you took the time to have that conversation, and, and they never, never responded with a yes or no, you would feel disregarded. And that's what the Lord God feels from his own people. The priests are intentionally disregarding his law. No acknowledgement of it. It's, they, they put it out of their minds. And that means if they, if they are putting his word out of their minds, that means they're not submitting to his will for them. Instead, they're living in rebellion and disobedience. Psalm 119, verse 105, isn't true in the life of these priests. God's word isn't a lamp to their feet, nor is it a light to their path. And that, too, is a failure to love. Again, what about us? In what areas of our life do we refuse to submit to God's word? In what areas of our life are we just going to do it our way? Is it in our finances, our sexuality, our gender, our jobs, our careers, how we do church? Your view of sex, your view of government, whatever it is, are you submitting to God there or are you just going to do it your way? Third, the priests forsake the Lord their God. We see this in verse 10. See, the Lord says, because they have forsaken the Lord, God's own priests are walking out on him. They are deserting him. They're leaving him behind. They no longer acknowledge him. As their God, they are living as functional atheists, and that, too, is a failure to love. Why do you think the priests reject knowledge, forget God's word, and in the end forsake God himself? Why do you think they, have, they are living this way? It's because their hearts belong to another. Because, listen, we're not self-existing people. We need other things to depend upon. We were created to worship. Our hearts were created to worship. And for these priests, their hearts no longer belong to God. The affections of their heart belongs to a false god named Baal. Look at verse 10. It says, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom. That, mean, that word cherish there, it means devotion. It means reverence. It means worship. And so God's own priests 
the priests that he ordained have rebelled against him and given all their allegiance to a false god. And the Lord calls them out for it. And here's and in the book of Hosea, spiritual whoredom is really idolatry. Please know idolatry is a failure to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what it is. Who or what holds the affections of your heart? You might can't answer that question now, but write it down. Who or what holds the affections of your heart? Who or what do you believe you just cannot live without? Who or what do you cherish above all else? Who or what do you say in the words of Gollum, my precious? My precious. My precious. My precious. My precious. And I hope you know Gollum's precious never died for him. He died for it. My precious. My precious. Who or what is your functional God and Savior? Who or what is your functional God and Savior? The vertical relationship between God and his priests is broken because the priesthood lives in idolatry. That's the problem. And please know the problem isn't just an individual sin problem. See, God isn't simply accusing individual priests. He's bringing charges against the whole priesthood as a religious system. Okay? As a system. The whole system is broken and damaged by sin. Pick, uh, Rich, Pastor Rich Velotis in, in the same book, he gives details about the forces that exist outside of us that can wreak havoc in our lives. He says the Bible calls these forces powers and principalities. And Pastor Rich defines these terms this way. He says powers and principalities are, are forces that become hostile, taking root in individuals, ideologies, institutions, with the goal of deception, division, and depersonalization. This is what's happening within the priesthood. It's a systemic problem, too. And, and, and this is seen in how the priesthood fails to love God's people. So how is the priesthood failing to love God's people, God's people? Hosea gives them three examples of their failure to love here. First, they fail to instruct God's people concerning God's word and will. They fail to instruct God's people concerning God's word and will. And basically, they're not leading the people in the ways of the Lord. They're not giving the people what they need spiritually. They're not watching over their sheep with careful eyes, the sheep that God has entrusted to them. The whole nation needs knowledge of God, but the ones ordained to give that knowledge have abandoned their call. And all of Israel is suffering from this. Look at verse 6a. God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Again, what is that knowledge? That's knowledge of God. 
my people are destroyed. I hope you realize the average person didn't have this <laughs> in, in ancient Israel, okay? They, don't, they, don't, they didn't have what we have. Only the priests had the Torah. Those were the ones who were responsible for reminding the people of what God's word was, was meant to them. So what we are experiencing, most of uh, in the Old Testament didn't have this. The, a common person didn't have the scriptures like we do. And so it's the, it was the job of the priests to bring God's word before the people of Israel. In the priesthood, they're not doing it. The people are, in Israel are living in covenant unfaithfulness while the priests stand by and watch. And that is a failure to love. That is a failure to love. The leadership here at TVC, we have one job at the end of the day. One job. And the Apostle Paul makes that job clear in Ephesians 4.12. TVC leadership is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build this local body of Christ up. That's our job. That's our calling at the end of the day. To lead this church to know Jesus and to enjoy Jesus and to glorify Jesus. How are we doing? How is the leadership doing, saints? Are we loving y'all well? Are we leading y'all well? Or are we failing to love y'all? If you are, let us know. Second, the priesthood failed to love the people by not raising up godly leadership. One way to help restore and reform a, a broken priesthood system is maybe to onboard some godly leaders who will lead in humility and faithfulness and fight for change. But again, but that's not happening in Israel. Newly ordained priests are just assimilated into the mess. They don't change anything. It's like people who get elected. Don't go into Congress to change stuff. You ain't changing nothing. You're just going to join in the mess. They join the other priests in unfaithfulness. They join the idolatry. These new priests fail to love God and fail to love the people under their leadership. Look at verse 7. The Lord says, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. The message Bible says, the more priests, the more sin." The more priests, the more sin. Now, what's the application for us? What do y'all think? Because, you know, we don't have a priesthood, right, that they had here in Hosea. The application for us is this. Simply adding new leadership to an already broken system might make things worse, not better. Particularly if those new leaders come with questionable character. Do you believe that or you think I'm just making stuff up? Sometimes you got to just break the system down and start over. Third, these priests fail to be mediators between God and his people. You see, the Lord God set the priests apart for their service to him. The Old Testament priests are called to act as mediators between Yahweh and the people of Israel, especially the high priests, because only the priests were all allowed in the tabernacle and, and later in the inner parts of the temple. The people aren't allowed in those parts. The priests are the only ones who, who can officiate the many sacrifices under the Mosaic law, the burnt offerings, the male offerings.
offerings, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings, all the Old Testament offerings. Only the priest can officiate those things. And one of the primary functions of the priest is to offer a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. The priests do that. The the, the people don't come to the temple and sacrifice their own animals. The priests do it on their behalf as a mediator between them and God, which is a foreshadowing of Christ. Hebrews 5, 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sins and sacrifices for sin. That's what the role of the priesthood is. And it's important to also know that the priesthood, when God was giving out land, the priesthood were not allowed to have land. They lived in the temple. And, and they got their food from the animal parts that were left over from the sacrifices. That's how they ate from the sin offerings and the offerings of the people. But here in the Nordic kingdom, the mediation process is broken. For the priests are abusing their leadership by taking advantage of the people. Look at verse 8. The Lord said, they feed on the sins of my people. They are greedy for my people's iniquities. What do you think that means? What do you think the the priests are doing? The priests are benefiting from the people's sin. Because guess what? The more sin offering equals what? More meat. More meat. I love the Bible translation. It says, they pig out on my people's sins. They pig out on my people's sins. God's word gives the impression that the priesthood, they want the people to sin because the priests get to weep all the benefits of it. That is a broken system, man. A Presbyterian pastor in South Carolina writes, Hosea was claiming that sin was big business for the priestly class, so much so that they were happy to encourage it. The description that the priests feed on the sin suggests in their easy, breezy religious culture, more sin meant more animal meat offered in sacrifice. This meant more plentiful food for the priests to eat and greater resources for the expansion of their influence. Here we see the Old Testament equivalent of the Roman Catholic indulgent system. If you know anything about Catholicism, and the indulgent system means when people sin, they, they paid to have their sins forgiven, and the, and the Roman Catholic leadership benefited from that. It's called indulgences. You sin, you pay this price, then you're good. And this is a similar thing that's happening here. And TVC is saying that's a failure to love. That is a failure to love. Now, how is God going to respond to his priests? How is he going to deal with their failure to love him and his people? He wants them to confess and to repent, but they won't. But they won't. So he brings discipline. He brings consequences. And that first consequence is given in verse 5. He says, you shall stumble by day. The prophet shall stumble by night, and I will destroy your mother. That's some strong language. So what does, what does God mean here? He, it means the unfaithful priests and the false prophets 
will meet their end eventually. In days and nights to come, they both will lose balance and fall off. Just Not just the spiritual and religious leaders, but the whole nation will fall. That description, I will destroy your mother, is not talking about the actual mother. It's talking about Israel as their mother, the northern kingdom itself. Verse 5 is referring to the future, the future exile of Israel that's going to happen in 722 B.C. The priests and the people will fall. The priests and the prophets will stumble. The second consequence is in verse 6. The Lord says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being my priest. And since you have forgotten the law of the Lord, I shall, I will also forget your children. Again, strong language. What does it mean? The priests are going to be disposed from office. They were, they're no longer going to be in the office of priests. Not only for them, but none of their sons would be allowed to enter the office of priesthood either. And we see here the sins of the father passed down to the, to the kids. Right here and within God's own priesthood. Third consequence is in verse 7. The Lord says, the more they increase, the more they sin against me. And I would change their glory into shame. This, this means the honor that was due them because of their role in office is going to be taken away and replaced with dishonor. They're going to eventually lose the respect of the people. It means all the prosperity and power and privilege the priesthood are experiencing and has accumulated over the years are going to be taken away. Because you can't forget, when Hosea comes to, to Israel, Israel is in the height of her prosperity. Life is good there. None of the things he's talking about, the, the judgment has happened yet. So Israel is a thriving city, a thriving country when Hosea comes. The priesthood, they're doing well. All the food they can eat. And now he's saying, you're going to lose all that if you continue to refuse to repent. All these covenant blessings are going to turn into covenant curses. The fourth consequence is in verses four, 9 and 10. The Lord says, and it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat and not be satisfied. They shall pray to prostitute, but not multiply. The leaders are no different than the people that they're leading. That's what God is saying. Like, there's a reason you can't lead my people ignoring me, because you're not doing it yourself. Everything that the Lord accuses the country of in verses 1 through 3 applies to the prophets and the priests as well. Their ways and deeds are listed in those verses. And as punishment and repayment, the priesthood and the prophets, they will go into exile along with the people. Their spiritual leadership will no longer flourish. Food and sex will, not, will fail them. In fact, all idols eventually failed us. Whatever it is that you worship that's not Jesus, sooner or later, it's going to fail you. Sooner or later, it's going to let you down. You're going to come to my office and want to meet. And I'll be there waiting for you. I love you. But sooner or later, you're going to see that your idols own you. You don't own them. 
Remember Gollum. He dies for his idol. Are you going to die for yours? Eventually, all idols lets us down. Now, I know it's hard for some of you to hear these things about God in the Old Testament. Because it's like, man, he's different from the God in the New Testament. But, it, but he's not different. And it's hard for me as I study and write each week. It's, no, it's not fun reading about the judgment God brings upon his people because they won't repent. That stuff is not fun to read and write about and to get up and preach about. It's really heartbreaking and convicting. It, leaves, it does leave you wondering how in the world is this love from God? When we experience those emotions and thoughts, let, let's also ask the Spirit to help us remember the larger context of, of Hosea. Hosea name, do you know what Hosea's name means in English? Do you know what it means? Yahweh rescues. Yahweh rescues. That's what his name means. Because, and God sends Hosea to Israel to rescue them. From their own sins. He sent them there 30 years before the kingdom falls to Assyria. To Assyria. So you so is God a God of love? If He's giving you a 30-year notice, you better bet that's love. You better bet that's love. Is a God of Old Testament kind and gracious and merciful? If He's giving you a 30-year notice, then you better bet He's kind and merciful and, and gracious. That, beloved, this is not a failure to love God. This is not a failure for God to love us. This is God loving us. That's real covenantal, faithful love from Yahweh to Israel. But do we believe it? His love in us does involve discipline. It does. The failures of God's priests here, it should not create in us a spirit of judgment and self-righteousness. Because, again, we look at this and say, man, I wouldn't do that. How could they do that? Their failure should show us a need for a greater priest. It should show you that your church leader and your, your pastor and your elders and deacons we're imperfect, and we're going to let you down, and we're going to hurt you. We're going to make bad decisions sometimes. It should show us that we need a priest who perfectly loves God and perfectly loves people. It should show us we need a priest who perfectly fulfills the office of priest. There's only one person who perfectly fulfills the office of priest. A person whose name just doesn't mean save, but a person who actually saves sinners from their sins through his death. And that's Jesus Christ. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud, with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And he, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, 
he became the source of eternal life to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's Jesus. So when you look at the failures of these priests in Hosea, it should should point you to the one priest who doesn't fail, to the one priest who does not reject God, to the one priest who who does not abandon his role as priest, and that's Jesus. And the author of Hebrews tells us, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And in the Hebrew, tempted in every way like we are, means tempted in every way like we are, and yet without sin. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And that's what we're going to do this morning with the Lord's Supper. We're going to draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. And this meal does not belong to the village church. We don't own it. It is Jesus' meal. And it's a meal that he instituted for his people his beloved sons, and his beloved daughters. And if you are a believer, and you have saving faith in Jesus, then he invites you to come and partake of this meal with your church family. Now, friends and neighbors, if, you're, if you don't profess faith in Christ, I consider it an honor to have you here. And if you have questions about what it means to receive Jesus, please see me or Elder Richard at the end of the service or one of our women shepherds. And we were glad to sit down with you and talk with you about that. Adults, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you are a member of. And all TBC kids, I want you to observe what's going to happen here today. This meal, this table is is, is a reminder of how much Jesus loves you. It's a reminder that he died on the cross because he loves you. And so as your pastor, as your shepherd, it is my prayer that each of you will come to saving faith in Jesus. And as I said last week, if you have questions about communion and what this means, you have questions about Jesus, the parents have my, the parents have my number. I can, we can talk over the phone or I can come by and we can, you can ask me any question. I'll do my best to give you a good answer. Until then, um, kids, observe what we do. And again, it's my prayer as your pastor that one day, you'll come to saving faith and be able to partake of this meal with your church family. Let us go to the Lord now as I ask him to bless these elements. Holy Spirit, we don't make communion powerful. You do. The fencing of the table doesn't make communion powerful. You do. You do it all. And I pray that you will give the, give us spiritual nourishment today, that you will nourish our hearts, you will nourish our minds, you will nourish our souls. 
Help us to learn what it means to rest in grace, what it means to rest in Christ. And I pray for all this in his wonderful name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I will ask that you hold on to the elements until we would take them together. And if you want a pre-packaged uh, communion, please let uh, Richard and Benjamin know. Raise your hand. my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from all my enemies. sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Thanks, this is Christ's body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. In the same manner, he took the cup, and having given thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying to them, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is given for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you.
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. my eyes to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out all my transgressions. Beloved of a good Father, this is Christ's blood shed for all your sins, past, present, and future. Drink from it, all of you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that it was enough and that it is finished. We're not required to get on the cross with you. We're not required to wallow in guilt because of our sin struggles. I pray that we'll continue daily to embrace the mercy that you give us that I knew every morning. So thank you for that wonderful sacrifice, and I pray that the meal that we just partake of together as a body, that your spirit will give us the nourishment that we need. It's in your wonderful name that I pray. Amen. Saints, will you please stand as we close our service.
much for worshiping with us and also please tonight come back for the trunk or treat uh, from 6 to 7 30 here please pray for no rain and that we have a good turnout now here's God's benediction his beloved now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said Amen. Please greet one another, saints.